Welcome, Skills of the Future, the podcast that propels you into the realm of limitless possibilities and empowers you to shape a remarkable future. I'm your host, Sajid, the podcast manager and founder of Mid Leader Platform. Get ready to embark on a captivating journey as we unreveal the secrets of leadership excellence with our special guest, Dr. Karen Marie Wagner Kier. In each episode, we delve into a distinct subject, magnifying the skills that will shape a new world of endless opportunities. From unleashing creativity to mastering cross-cultural communication, our esteemed guest speakers will guide us on a transformative path toward becoming visionary leaders of tomorrow. Today, we have the privilege of welcoming Dr. Karen Marie wagner Clegg, a senior research specialist and lead content creator at Kaizen Human Capital. With her wealth of expertise and experience, she will illuminate the path of leadership greatness and inspire us to push the boundaries of what is possible. Together, we will immerse ourselves in thought-provoking discussions, discover innovative strategies and cultivate the mindsets essential for navigating the ever-changing landscape of the global workforce. Are you ready to unlock the true potential within you and forge a future brimming with possibilities? Yeah, let's dive in. So greetings from the beautiful island of Okinawa, Japan, where Sajid and I were talking early. It's 12, 10 a.m. It's actually Sunday morning for me, but it's my sincere pleasure to be able to share some of my knowledge with you about leading in the global uh, workplace. I've been studying international leadership and I teach international studies, international leadership, global leadership, and I happen to be um, working in a global workspace right now. So let's begin the presentation. Let me preface this knowledge share by stating that many leadership skills and relevant contexts are vital to effectively navigating the challenging global workplace. However, due to time constraints in this brief information exchange that we're sharing this afternoon, I will only highlight what I deem to be the most crucial context. So let's discuss the invisible boundaries that divides us as a collective society. Culture distorts how we see the world. It serves as a reference point to evaluate each other and other cultures. We view the world through our filters. We tend to have an ethnocentric orientation or viewpoint. That is, applying our culture or ethnicity as a frame of reference to judge others, their cultures, practices, behaviors, or beliefs, instead of using the standards of the particular culture involved. However, that perspective currently is passe. It is no longer applicable in this global landscape in which we currently reside. Evaluating other cultures according to preconceptions, stereotypes, and biases originating in the standards and customs of our old culture is not okay. Further, recognizing and accepting cultural differences are crucial to our leadership success. Consequently, as global leaders, we must have the mindset and skills to navigate cultural differences and decode cultures, behaviors, and norms that are different from our own. Why is this so crucial? Because our workplace and beyond is a subtle and sometimes treacherous terrain where people from starkly different backgrounds are expected to interact, communicate, 
and work harmoniously with minimal conflict. However, it can only become a reality if we have cultural awareness and build our cultural knowledge and capabilities to interact with others successfully. Therefore, the aim of this information exchange this evening is to provide practical, actionable insights to build multicultural competences for global workplace success. Because the more we can understand the cultural context in which our colleagues and peers operate, the more we are skilled in identifying cultural differences and the more capable we are of appreciating those differences. Consequently, we will be better able to successfully manage culturally distinct norms and behaviors and lead a global workforce. Sajid, can we go to slide two, please? So how can we accomplish this feat? By recognizing the influence of culture on individuals, understanding the impact of deep-rooted cultural values and norms, learning about our own cultural roots, discovering your own cultural profile, that is what shapes your view of the world and its people, recognizing cultural differences in others, learning how to interpret behaviors and actions in situations that you will inevitably encounter, learning how to lead in multicultural situations by recognizing and managing behavior. So how do we go about discovering our cultural profile? By completing an assessment. Some links are provided on the slide deck and will also be offered by Sajid. There are also hyperlinks in the notes that he will share later on after the presentation. Erin Meyer, the author of The Culture Map, offers one assessment that I prefer. She developed an assessment tool for Harvard Business Review entitled it, What's Your Cultural Profile? It allows us to determine how well we understand cultural differences within the workplace. Please note that there's also another version of the Meyer assessment that will also be shared. Sajid will offer both of those cultural assessment profiles for you to be able to navigate them. So when you do that, have some fun trying out the self-assessments. After you've completed them and the results are tabulated, you'll receive a personal profile that can help you identify where cultural or individual differences may enhance or limit your potential to, for you to interact in a diverse world. For example, you might identify strongly as French, but do not necessarily communicate the same as many of your French colleagues. Where, whether you're from Morocco, France, or Canada, French-speaking countries, the trap is assuming that you know people because you have identified their cultural pedigree. However, without understanding all the dimensions of their behavior and your own, you probably will not figure out what is behind the harmony and or the conflict or friction that you may encounter with them. Myers' test will help you deepen and broaden your insights and perspective. To that end, I must also state that individuals within a culture vary enormously in their behaviors and attitudes, and many societies have distinct subcultures. That is varying ways of life that exist within the primary cultural paradigm. In a single society, there can be many different cultures and subcultures based on ethnic groups, religious groups, other language, dialects, etc. For example, in India, Lenarta Whitson Roth's cultural uh, assessment framework identified nine distinct subculture regions that accounted for many cultural differences, customs, religions, beliefs, and languages within that country. Another comparison we could look at is a small country like Switzerland which has four national language. As you can see, cultures and subcultures make countries and societies 
far from homogeneous. Slide three, uh, please, Sajid, Sajid, where we can look at the culture map. So world countries, cultures, and subcultures differ considerably, as we all know, and are reflect, reflected in various aspects of their religious, political, and economic life. As a result, many classifications of cultural models allow us to assess a country's cultural similarities and differences. Dr. Hosty, who is the pioneer in assessing cultural dimensions, and, and also Dr. Von Strumpenier and Charles Hamden Turner, who later expanded Husty's work to include other dimensions. They're both great models, and believe me, I reference them frequently. But my preference is Erin Meyer's model, which is another model. She's also the creator of the personal cultural assessment that I referenced earlier. Meyer's, with her model, identifies eight dimensions, as you can see on the screen, on a culture map that together capture most of the differences within and among cultures and nationalities. It's a much more nuanced approach, in my view, for global business and the global workplace. The culture map allows us to view where we fall on eight skills and offer insights into where people in countries other than ours typically land on the scale. One thing I need to say, remember, it's a sliding scale. It's not static and it's not absolute. People fall within different, I mean, countries and people fall within different ranges on those scales. I think Meyer's um, scale is a unique classification of culture because she examines how people communicate, make decisions, lead and approach time. But unlike other classification systems of culture, the culture map does not look at religious, a country's religion, its political system or its uh, worldview aspects. With eight scales for behavior and communication as evident on the map that Sajit is showing, she clarifies the differences with the left-right scale framework. Let's look at the first scale, communicating um, in the high context versus low context dimension. In a low context culture, communication is typically quite direct. However, in a low context culture, it's usually indirect. A low context culture, as you can see, uh, America falls on the very uh, high end, you would say, of a low context culture. In just a few minutes, these dimensions will become much more clear. So, Sajid, at this time, let's go ahead and conduct the culture dimensions comparison. For this exercise, Sajid will show you how we can look at Dr. Gert Husted's insights. Sajid will briefly demonstrate how to perform a, a comparison. And after that, we'll continue on with the presentation. We'll go to slide four, Sajid. Yeah, so uh, thank you for your valuable insights, Dr. Karen. And then I will send you, after the presentation, I will send you this PDF documents, and then you can go to the slide four. For... Uh, So, okay, I will uh, I will reshare the screen. Just one minute. Boys. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you can go to slide four and then click on this link on slide four. So Hope Seed Insights. It will guide you to the uh, to, to the official website to see the comparison tools. So here in the research, we will type country comparison tool. And then it's our first uh, result. Yeah. Then it's it's so easy. In, in a few seconds, we can find uh, many countries in comparison, many comparison countries. So for example, we will type Morocco. And for example, with United States. So here we can here we found in a few seconds uh, two comparison countries, uh, and then we can just scroll down and see uh, the chart switched between the dimensions descriptions. Then we can see the power distance about the country comparison, and then last but not least, we can see the source of country scores. So it's just that easy. We can type like we can add another country, for example, Tunisia. So we can. Uh, type uh, uh, what countries we need to compare and see how comparisons are and how the results are. So this is how simple it is. And uh, in a few seconds, you can get your comparisons. We're going back to our presentation. So thanks, Sajid. It's a very useful tool. I use that both cultural dimensions and country assessments very frequently because that uh, advises me of what my expectations should be based on the cultural dimensions, how people will interact and react and how they're going to behave. It's just a great tool to understand cultural dimensions. So let's briefly look on, on slide four, you have that up, right, Sajik? Let's look at um, the first two dimensions um, based on what um, the Morocco and United States comparison that Sajik did. So let's look at the power distance and the collectivism versus individualism context on there. So power distance index, that describes the extent to which the less powerful members of an organization expect and accept that power is unequally equally distributed. As you can see, Morocco is out 70 out of 100, which is pretty high on the power distance index. The United States is 40 out of 100, which is pretty low. So with the score of 70, Morocco is viewed as a hierarchical society. Excuse me. It means a people accept a hierarchical order in which everybody has a place in ranking and needs no further justification. Hierarchy in an organization reflects inherent inequalities. Centralization is popular. Subordinates expect directives, what to do. And the leadership style in those types of societies tend to be more autocratic. Also, personal relationships are highly valued in a business culture. Although there's a certain degree of inequality in all societies, I want to make that clear, there's relatively more equality in some cultures than in others, such as in the United States. Meanwhile, societies with low power distance seek to have an equal distribution of power. The implications is that cultures endorse and expect relations that are much more consultative, democratic, or egalitarian. Also, personal relationships are not highly valued in a business culture. Here's a perfect example to explain to you in layman's term, the power distance index. In a high power distance culture, such as um, Morocco or Japan, employees would never dream of barging into a CEO's office and complaining about an issue. 
they typically typically go through the rank and file and will go through the immediate supervisor only. That's typically how it's here in Japan. If there's an issue, the, the Japanese nationals will only go to the immediate supervisor and stop. They would expect the immediate supervisor to take whatever actions that are necessary. It is quite the opposite in a low power distance culture like the United States. Employees will barge directly into the top boss's office, the owner of the company, without a second thought. And so you could see there's clearly quite a difference in cultural dimensions there. Then in collectivism versus individualism, as you can see, Morocco is 46 out of 100, which is pretty low. United States is 91 out of 100, which is pretty high. So individualism and collectivism respectively refers to the integration of individuals into groups. I am a U.S. national, but I was born and raised in a country in Central America. So I am from a collectivistic culture, but have adapted kind of in the individualistic way of life because my husband and I have been living in the United States since we were 15 years old. So individualistic society stretches stress achievement and individual rights, focusing on the needs of self, not the needs of group and others. A person's self-image in this category is identified as I. In contract, collectivistic societies place greater importance on the goals and well-being of the group, with a person's self-image in this category being identified as we. Those from collectivistic cultures tend to emphasize relationships and loyalty more than those from individualistic cultures. Lastly, communicating tends to be more direct in individualistic societies, but indirect in collectivistic ones. This leads me to the following context, which is the interplay of communication. Communication patterns. A crucial leadership skill is paying attention to the stimulus set by communication features. Looking at Myers' map that we saw earlier, and viewing the low context versus high context dimensions, the impact of communication and the effectiveness of intercultural teamwork becomes quite apparent. In high context cultures, the message is defined by implicit knowledge and, and dealing with different styles is decisive. Perfect example would be Morocco or Japan. For example, as a high context culture, people from Japan value the message and the context more than the actual words alone. Also, they use a lot of nonverbal cues, silence, nods, hand gestures, and facial expressions to convey meaning. In low-context cultures, on the other hand, examples would be Germany or the U.S., the message's meaning is mainly defined by explicit knowledge and verbal information. As a result, nonverbal communication is typically not prevalent in those cultures. And another thing that uh, we need to be very cognizant of when we're talking about communication are thought patterns, deductive methods, which is typically the U.S. approach. We tend to go from broad categories to specific examples to determine the facts and then offer solutions to a problem. Inductive method, which is typically an Asian and um, African type approach, is usually starting with the facts and then moving towards generalizations. Thought patterns also include the pace or speed of solving problems and making decisions. So let me share a quick story relative to the differences in communication and thought patterns. And the story is a little bit older, but I think it's so germane in, in what we're talking about today. I wanna to talk about a Toyota story that occurred. 
So after being subpoenaed, Akio Toyoda, the CEO and president of Toyota Motors and other company executives faced the U.S. House Congressional Committee on Capitol Hill, I believe it was back in 2010. They were summoned to explain problems with its vehicle, with its vehicle, the company's vehicle accelerators that had caused, may have caused the death of 19 consumers. This safety issue ultimately triggered the recall of more than 10 million Toyota vehicles nationwide, global-wide. Toyota, who has an MBA from an American university and once worked in California, when he was summoned and went before the House committee, he used a translator to avoid any misunderstandings at the hearings, but often seemed sometimes to be lost in a cultural gap between the United States and Japan. It was very challenging for him. So during the three-hour grilling that ensued, some makers tend to get really irritated with the responses that um, Mr. Toyota was giving. They were seeking short and simple responses from, from Mr. Toyota. However, he kept referring back to the notes he had in Japanese because it was challenging to give short and simple answers because Toyota Motor Corporation at the time had not yet determined what had caused the issue with the acceleration pedal and the brake issues. So Aiko Toyota was not about to generalize and just give a non-factual response when he was being grilled by the congressman. They wanted an answer, but the Japanese do not operate with a deductive method. They use the inductive method approach where they start with facts and not generalization. So as the CEO, he was not about to just give a general response. He was waiting for the facts from the mechanical engineers who were assessing the acceleration issues, which were not yet determined. So you can see the cultural difference there, differences there were very clear. Uh, and, and, and this is no slight on Americans because I'm a nationalized American, but in, in the culture of the United States, if there's an issue, executives from companies will tend to go on center stage very rapidly without knowing the underlying story, the root cause, and offer some sort of explanation up front. And then we'll maybe later on have to backtrack once the root cause has been um, discovered. However, in other cultures, for example, Japanese cultures, they do not operate that way. They start with the facts and then they generalize. And that was the issue with, with Mr. Toyota. So I remember CEO Toyota had a stoic showing in Congress. His face was pale. His expression was stiff. He apologized in a speech later on he delivered in English. But you could see he was well shook because he didn't even make his traditional Japanese bow style that he always does. So after the hearing the press conference, Toyota broke out in tears. He had lost face in front of his colleagues and in essence in the entire world that had uh, been on, he had been on this stage at the U.S. Congress and having to be grilled with questions that he could not answer because he did not have the answers yet. So remember, the Japanese are all about the quality also, and they use the Kaizen philosophy of total quality management and continuous improvement. So this was another shame for Mr. Toyota. Additionally, the Toyota Motor Company bears his family name. Mr. Aiko Toyoda is the grandson of Toyota Motor Corporation founder, Kichiro Toyoda. I remember being so flabbergasted after the U.S. congressman did not take the time, I felt, in my opinion, 
to learn about the cultural norms of the Japanese. They were more concerned about bringing Mr. Toyota to the United States, subpoena him on short notice and grilling him, as opposed to taking the time, giving the time and respect for him to figure out, or the Toyota Motor Company to figure out what had occurred before he was unsanctioned to go to the United States. But I viewed it as an embarrassment and a stain on the United States Congressional Committee during that time. I really, truly did. So let's now jump into paralanguage. Paralanguage is another critical piece that you need to understand. It's the non-lexicon component of oral communication. For example, the itonation, the intensity, the volume, or voice pitch, speed of speaking, gestures, vocal segregate, and facial expressions. It is vital to know what's acceptable in certain cultures. In the Japanese, everything is quiet. It's low. In my neighborhood where I'm at, literally you can hear a pin drop because people are just the voice tones and the, the whole lifestyle is extremely quiet, unlike some loud Americans. Another thing is proxemics, communicating using space. Be aware of the physical distance between people when you're interacting, people from other cultures as well as their territorial area. It is the greatest influence. It is gr strongly influenced, apologize, I apologize. It is strongly influenced by our culture. For example, people from the United States require the greatest distance in, in our social zone. It is approximately four to 12 feet. That is the zone for most business situations where people interact more formally and interpersonally. Do not, do you ever interact uh, with someone and you feel like they've stepped up too close to you. I know I have. Uh, in India, I think they have the smallest social zone space. So what typically when I'm speaking to my, my colleagues from India, when they come up really close, unknowingly, I tend to back up to regain that social space because I have learned as a natural, as American, that I need that four to 12 feet that makes me feel comfortable. So that's exactly what proxemics is. So the last couple of things, oculistics, that's eye contact in the United States and other countries such as Canada, the Great Britain and Great Britain and Eastern Europe, eye contact is considered a sign of respect and attentiveness. However, in other countries, example Japan, where there's little or no direct eye contact, when you make the direct eye contact, it could be misinterpreted as aggressive or intrusive, when the intended meeting might be merely to appear interested if you used to make indirect eye contact. Haptics is another one. Haptics is touch, communicating using bodily contact. It is wise to know if handshakes, pat on the backs, kisses on the cheeks are acceptable. For example, touching should never occur in Japan. No handshakes are given unless initiated by the other party. The common courtesy in Japan is about, that's it. Chronemics, the role of time in communication. It is the different attitude towards time, which vary vastly from culture to culture. Across cultures, people usually have different perceptions and values placed on time, which plays a considerable role in the communication process and can result in conflicts between individuals. For example, time is relatively linear in the United States and Japan, while it's flexible in other countries such as uh, Latin American countries and, and, and some, some um, Central and South American countries. 
Time perception includes punctuality, interactions, and willingness to wait. So let me share a quick story before I wrap this up. A quick story on proxemics and the, the value, the time perception and value placed on time. So um, in the United States, time is considered money. Most American businessmen want to hit the ground running when they go to a foreign country and meeting with the nationals. So I was working for this company a while back and we were going to Brazil. We had the potential for a multi-million dollar contract. So I was flying there as a support to the, the CEO of the company, CEO and founder of the company, his son. And, and I, we were traveling to, to Brazil. And like I said, we had the potential for this multi-million dollar contract. And the reason he selected me to, to accompany his son is because he knew that I was relatively familiar with the cultural dynamics of, of Latin America and Brazil in those areas. So I remember on the plane telling him that we have to be careful how we interact because time is not considered money in those countries. It's more about fostering a relationship. You'll be invited to the home for dinner and then build that relationship. It might take two days before we actually get to the business dynamics. I remember clearly stating that fact on the plane and he was like, yeah, 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 well, we'll go, we'll see what happens. Well, we got there and he hit the ground running. He wanted to conduct business within probably about two hours after he, we had met with the uh, executives from the company. And that just does not work in the Brazilian culture as a whole. And because of that, cut a long story short, we ended up losing a multi-million dollar contract that could have been very beneficial to the company and could have been very resourceful and could have been saved if I felt that he had just taken the advice that I had given him about how a country like Brazil, typically the businessmen operate. So just be cognizant of those, all those different things that I shared, because those are all part of cultural dimensions. And I want to say that a lot of companies across the globe lose billions of dollars and that's not millions billions with a b because of not understanding cultural dynamics and actually in essence insulting nationals from different countries so please just be cognizant of that fact so in closing what i want to say is remember that many intercultural encounters happen on short notice leaving little time to learn about the other culture so cultural awareness and knowledge are the keys to successfully leading in a global workplace. Cultural differences lead to stereotypes and biases. Therefore, we tend to put individual in boxes with general traits. However, with newfound cultural knowledge, we can stop viewing others through our cultural lens and begin to view people as individuals, not just products of their culture, beliefs, and norms. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us on this captivation journey through the realm of leadership and the boundless potential of the future. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to Skills of the Future on your preferred podcast platform so you can never miss an episode featuring our esteemed guests and valuable insights. Remember, at Meeting the Leader, we believe that building remarkable skills is the key to shaping 
an extraordinary future. Connect with us on our social media channels to continue the conversation, access exclusive content, and join a vibrant community of aspiring leaders dedicated to personal and professional growth. Together, let's make an impact and embrace the limitless possibilities that lie ahead. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll uncover another facet of leadership excellence and the skills needed to thrive in an ever-evolving world. Thank you for listening and until next time, dare to dream, strive for greatness and become the architect of your destiny.